Welcome to the EIQ Nutrition Podcast. The aim of EIQ Nutrition is to help coaches support their clients in the best way that they can. What makes the EIQ course different is that it's practical and applied rather than just theory-based. This is a recording from our weekly Q&A sessions in the EIQ group and all questions are from the students and the graduates. If you want to support your clients in the best way possible and be the best coach you can be, head to eiqnutrition.com for a ton of free resources and to sign up for the next intake of the course. There we go. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I've had um, four calls back to back, so this is my fifth. Congrats. I've had like a day where it's like half an hour and then half an hour off and then half an hour and half an hour off. It's been nice because then every call I'm like, you know. Oh, see, I think I prefer to, you know. Benefits of both. Half an hour is a little bit like, oh, it's not enough time to do anything. What's that? Soda water, lime. We can't see because of blood. It's a margarita. I wish it was a margarita. It's like... um. Yeah, just soda water, lime, sweetener, and lemon juice. Oh, nice. Oh, it's very refreshing. I d- I'm just a really, I'm really a thirsty girl right now. I've got my... Thirsty, eh? Thirsty. And always. Always. Yeah, that's always good. Mm-hmm. Um, anything exciting happened to you? I don't think so. I was just reading about... Um, if you do you know the the guidelines around um infant formula you probably don't right because i didn't know until i just read this right so it was on the news so infant formula they're not you're not in the uk you're not allowed to supermarkets are not allowed to market it or you're not allowed to use food bank tokens to buy it um that you're not allowed to have run offers on it or anything like that because they said it discourages breastfeeding so then iceland were in the news today because they said no and they said no we're still going to offer a promotion because some some people don't have a choice but to not breastfeed and also like that was their reason of course some people will choose not to breastfeed and that's their prerogative right for sure um but he's also, specific- well done iceland i know isn't that great well, that's great and then also they give i can't remember what it is i saw an advert for this it's like five percent discount to old people uh iceland do yeah Iceland I should shop at Iceland more getting myself down to I mean the only issue is you know the actual quality of the food most of the time but like frozen Frozen stuff the frozen food is just generic you get that anywhere right great peas I can imagine great peas I bet they've also got a good corn selection yeah and they do a lot of I've never actually had these but like the my protein frozen meals they yeah. give me heebie-jeebies not because it's my protein but all frozen meals like that kind of give me the heebie-jeebies what are you meant to do just put it in the microwave for like an hour till it defrosts and then heats up nah, no surely you take out the night before but my microwave has been broken for about mm, i don't know like eight months now and i just still have it in the kitchen <laughs> so <laughs> sounds about right that display it you know sounds about right yeah i um, remember in the days when muscle food used to be a thing yeah I, I remember I ordered chicken from there once and the it, something had birth in it. So all the chicken went off and I open, I can still smell it to this day. Never again, never again would I do anything. You see this whole thing about like muscle food, like pump their chicken with water. So like the breast looks bigger. 
and then when you cook it it's like I remember seeing someone do that like look at this one that I bought from like free range from Tesco versus this one it's like smaller breast well sometimes smaller breasts are better yeah honestly yeah probably didn't need that much chicken I know I say sometimes I mean always obviously always right so what would what would it say yeah so basically so boots had been called out too because they did an offer and boots retracted it and they said sorry we broke the regulations we're not going to do it and Iceland were like no we don't agree with it so we're going to keep it so I don't know what the actual final outcome was that that was just in the news today that they've said they're not going to change it so we'll see and they're fighting for like a change in regulations because rightly so it's disgusting just it's such like oh it's just gross it's also also actually very sexist, but given the number of single mothers um, that exist and like socioeconomic status and all of that stuff, like it's gross. It is yeah. bad. And I just really think it's a massive stretch to be like, do you know what mums will think? I won't breastfeed because this is has 50p off. Yeah, th- that's actually swayed it for me. Like, come on. Your breasts, breast milk is free, right? Unless, you, I mean, I guess you have to pay for pumps and stuff, right? But on the whole breast milk is free taking 50 pence off the formula that they have to then buy if money is the thing then surely they're going to just breastfeed yeah, yeah if they could right yeah, well exactly exactly that's the point yeah how strange well i was trying to think about the like the food industry and how maybe government legislation is changing the way the food industries run like with the sugar tax how we were all kind of like initially mm, that's not going to solve the problem but actually the idea obviously as you had on your podcast that time the idea of sugar tax is to change the way the industry does things which it did so I was trying to think okay well is this something to do with changing the way the industry does things but I couldn't think of a logically logic reason why that might be logical reason why that may be mm. no because yeah you're right the sugar tax was more on the companies mm. like, their profit margins fucked if there's more tax on like full sugar coke so if they make it with less sugar they pay less tax so that makes sense but I don't know about the formula no I couldn't think of a logical link there too mm. that was my interesting stuff you got anything interesting um not really I called someone out yesterday that I, was- somebody I had a call with today mentioned this but I haven't seen it who was it um well I tried not to call them out but then I I did because it was a question box asked about them have you heard of is it Davinia or Davina Taylor all her out she's a charlatan oh so bad like what she's like it's so bad yeah it wasn't really about her it was about like the claims that she's making but then the the comments got a little bit like personal and I actually quite against that like I don't know her right and I also don't follow her I actually she might be really nice I don't know but her nutrition knowledge is fucking awful right so that's what I'm calling out and then I think like it's such a kind of cop-out to then be like this seems a little bit or like there's usually there's a couple of arguments back like one is the standard well I did this and got results and I'm like yeah because you changed your lifestyle like because you started exercising like it wasn't the MCT oil that got you the result it was the other stuff like obviously and that doesn't just because you got results taking on like some of her advice doesn't mean that a that's the reason that you got them or b that these supplements work and then there was one woman who was kind of arguing with me and then I went on her page and obviously she sells collagen what about all of the evidence supporting the use of collagen I was like what evidence for what benefit 
and that made me realize as well because I got a lot of questions off the back of that like what collagen supplement would you recommend then and I was like none like depends why you're taking it but then what was interesting to me is I was like well what for and normally they're oh well you know like just the benefits what better like you know like you can't you don't even know why you're taking it and it's such a strange space now that like with supplements that like people just like I know that it comes back to like you want a quick fix you want something that's going to make you feel better it's easier to spend money on supplements than to do the basic things but it, yeah that I found that really strange I was like there was like three or four conversations I had and I was like but what benefit are you looking for from the collagen and they're like well I just heard they you know like the literally you can't they can say what benefit because I'd get it if they're like oh well I heard it helps your skin okay Mm -hmm. like I heard it was better than whey protein and then you'd be like well as a dietary source no it's probably not well it's definitely not um and then I looked into a little bit of the research on MCT oil and what's quite interesting is the study that's quoted most often is just comparing it to like supplementing with um olive oil And in that study, it seemed to show that there was a slight increase in energy expenditure and I think a slightly bigger reduction in body fat. But I think it completely misses the point that if you didn't supplement with any extra fat, probably would have got even better fat loss results, right? So that was interesting. And then actually a lot of the collagen research is just taking collagen compared to nothing as opposed to like collagen compared to whey when there are some studies on that but a lot of it's just like if you take some protein compared to taking no protein it's beneficial that's not telling us that collagen is useful it's telling us that most people probably aren't eating enough protein and even if they have some like extra even if it's not maybe as good as other sources of protein it's still beneficial should you then spend a load of money on a more expensive protein like I would argue no but yeah. yeah it is interesting the collagen one's been around now for like what two years consistently still people saying it's even bigger now yeah yeah I had the same conversation with someone today said my client wants to take collagen is there anything in it and I was like for what health but but for what and it was exactly the same conversation and it's like that is the last and the grand pyramid of things that you should care about for your health collagen is so far at the very top of that list it's it's wild that it takes up so much of the conversation still when most people may struggle with everything else first and foremost and also it's like I feel like I have a lot of conversations at the moment about cost-effective meals and cost-effective ways to do things and it's like but why are you then looking to spend money on collagen collagen is not cheap like Mm -hmm. especially it's like three times the price of whey protein it's wild that was mad yeah Um, Yeah. And then the other thing that was quite interesting is a few people commented saying stuff like, yeah, you're totally right. People should just do their own research. And I don't agree with that at all. Like it's really freaking hard to do your own research because the title of that study that I read about MCT versus olive oil was MCT oil increases energy expenditure and is superior for fat loss or something along those lines. Right. So you'd be like, done my own research so even on PubMed you'd be like oh yeah that's legit because you can't read research because it's really hard to do like most people on the internet have not like or most people following me on Instagram like 
probably don't know how to read research because and that's not to be like oh I'm better than it like it's hard it's hard to like decipher research and break it down and most people don't even have access to like the full study right so how can they break it down they probably just look at the and that's if they even actually got to um, PubMed like normally they're like I heard a doctor say that she's got a doctor working on her team and I'm like yeah they're not all created equally either uh yeah so I think that's hard and the collagen thing I don't know why that is just still around I mean I think I mean I take collagen I take it for the minute potential benefit that I might have on my skin aging based on the limited research that we have but it's but it's that's the thing too I don't really often talk about it because I don't want to encourage people to take it because I wouldn't encourage people to take it because it's not cheap and realistically I have most of the other things in my diet pretty much on point yeah, it's when people are like I'm gonna take collagen for the slight benefit to my skin but I'm not gonna wear sunscreen yeah and you're like mm, okay <laughs> okay okay like, probably literally no point to do that yeah exactly that yeah okay um, Anita's just saying I had the exact same conversation about collagen and posted to my stories yesterday my first question was exactly the same as yours for what yeah uh, great question yeah doesn't surprise me at all um okay Heather's question hi I hope you're both well I'm currently helping a couple of clients move away from tracking calories I listened to the lecture on this body brilliant and this has helped me massively my question Two clients this week have checked in and commented on how tracking gives them a sense of control and they end up going back to it this week. I know that this is a common struggle that many people who are used to tracking will come up against, but I am wondering what tools and advice you might give to clients who struggle with this. I have asked them why they feel this sense of control with tracking. I have also reassured them that they will come up against these feelings as they transition away from tracking. Would a phasic approach be better for these clients to help build their confidence without tracking you can do it like that I think sometimes even just like writing down what you eat I think is quite useful so like even just having like the notes app on your phone and just writing everything that you eat because I think the main benefit to me of tracking is reducing mindless eating and even like everyone's so bad at recall. Like if you actually don't write that, I can't remember what I've eaten today because I don't track, right? But if someone was like, if I was asked like exactly how much, and I don't even mean the calories. I just mean like, what exactly did you consume? Like a pear, an apple or whatever, you know, I wouldn't be able to say with any like precise, maybe roundabout, but if I'd written it all down, I'd have that bit, I guess, more control, but also just more awareness. And then you might be able to move from that. So that's quite a nice like stepping stone of like have a notes app and just just write what you eat in the day. Yeah. And I think the thing is, I think it's easy to demonize like food, tracking food, giving you a sense of control. That's a red flag. Right. But what is a sense of control? And what I mean by that is. You know, I might work with some clients who really struggle with uncertainty and and when things feel really uncertain in life, they'll turn to tracking to give them a sense of, you know, control and certainty. But then also I might work with a client who just doesn't trust themselves yet with hunger and fullness. And so they just feel a bit safer tracking because they just are not really comfortable like knowing when they're hungry or in the past when they haven't tracked before they started tracking, they used to snack all the time and overeat all the time. And, and that's less about using tracking as a source of control and more just about like that kind of 
I guess it's a feeling of safety, but it's food safety as opposed to like life control. And then there's quite a spectrum of that. So be mindful of the type of client that you work with. And, you know, these two clients might be quite different. Um, face it can be quite helpful. You know, when I've worked with clients who have really been struck, like stuck with that intense drive to track, then yes, I've done it in a more phasic way. Um, but I think sometimes it's normal to want to go back and managing expectations is really helpful. It sounds like you've done a really good job of that. I've seen this is quite normal to, to experience this. Um, if, if it brings up feelings of uncertainty or anxiety, having some sort of tool in place that's like an alternative to help try and um, kind of provide a bit of sense, sense of safety or soothing in that moment can be quite helpful. So again, just classic grounding breaths or something really common in the moment around dinner that, it's like, nope, I'm okay. I'm learning to trust my body. I know that um, some of Anna's clients, I, I remember having this conversation with her, I like to do affirmations and whatever resonates with your client of like, I'm learning to trust my body. I'm, I'm healing my relationship with food. Some people will love that. And some people will be like, I don't know, that's ridiculous. I'm not doing that. And so fine, know but your client. The affirmation might be like, for me, it would be a little bit more of like her logical thing of like, I know that that meal is about 600 calories. I don't need to track it like even just that of like yeah calories have the same so food has the same calories even if you don't put it into an app and know exactly what it is and I ate that yesterday when I tracked it so why is it any different today like just kind of like rationalizing it yeah it is wild like the extent that some people like again this is such a spectrum but the extent to some people feel the need to track their food and you know, I've worked with people who struggle to stop tracking, like weighing their protein powder. And I remember speaking to, I went to um, a muscle mentors training camp on like biomechanics and stuff back in the day. And there was someone there who was due to compete, but in his off season, he had to weigh his bagels or he chose to weigh his bagels. And if they were over the average weight, then he would cut a bit off and then only eat that in his off season. And it's like, that that's obviously disordered eating right um and that was normalized in that prep space that he was in um but it is wild the extent to which some people can feel really unsafe not doing it but for the majority it just takes that bit of time and, and knowing your client yeah. and what coaching they need I do think a good, the a really good point you made was about like how how people are using control because actually you do want control over your food intake. What you don't want is like obsessive levels of control, right? Like much like restriction isn't bad. In fact, we should all practice some restriction, but over restriction is bad, right? And same with like just the languages around food. I know that we hear control and we think, oh, when people describe eating disorders, they talk about like excessive levels of control. Like that's a red flag. Much like as coaches, we hear binge and we're like, oh, it actually, is that right for me? Like, should should I be referring this person out? And they're like, oh, I, sorry, I just meant like eating a little bit more pizza with my boyfriend. And you're like, oh, okay, not a binge. But I guess delve a little bit deeper into what do you mean by control? And like, how is that impacting you? That would be quite interesting as well. Okay, Heather's second question. Um, I'm working with someone who is having some body image problems. She finds it really difficult to look in the mirror because she hates what she sees. And this is transferring to her workouts as she thinks she looks ridiculous doing the exercises. So she's avoiding doing them. Her goal is to tone up, but she feels quote unquote past it. 
and that the goal is an insurmountable mountain. How can I best support her through this? What a phrase, insurmountable. Insurmountable mountain. Love that. I think break down that mountain, right? Because if someone was like, oh yeah, we're going to climb up, I don't know, some massive mountain, Everest, I'd be like, absolutely no way. If they were like, okay, we're just going to walk a mile up Everest. I'd be like, okay, like, fine, I can do that, right? And then you get the mile in. You're like, okay, well, what about the next little bit? Same kind of thing. Like, it can seem a long way. If you're, I don't know, thinking about body image and you're looking at people on Instagram wearing a bikini and you're like, that's so far from where I'll ever be. It just seems like there's no point even trying. But if you're like, okay, but could you wear that, I don't know, dress that you wanted to wear? Or, I don't know, could you look at yourself in the mirror and not freak out about it? I don't know, whatever the little goals are, mm-hmm. um, I would set those. Because, yeah, sometimes that can seem really far away. Yeah. And I don't know if you're in person, Heather, or if you're just online. But I, I, I think, yeah, uh, hmm. I think that, you know, we're often, we have this narrative of like, don't shy away in the gyms, don't have women's only gyms, don't do it, like take up space, all of these things. And actually for some people that's really, really uncomfortable and that's a big barrier. So like, can you support her in setting up a space somewhere that she feels safe and maybe she only needs a set of two sets of dumbbells. And so she can go into the corner with her mat with two sets of dumbbells and do that training program for her for now there. And then over time, you can start incorporating other things. I don't know. I don't, I don't know who the client is. And I, that's not, I don't think, pandering to someone. I think that's meeting someone where they are until they build in the confidence to feel that they can then do other things. Um, and then we spoke last week. So if you haven't listened to the live from last week, or two weeks ago, actually, it was two weeks ago, we spoke about like a body image tool where you reframe the way that you look in the mirror and um, rather than having these automatic negative thoughts, um, focusing on self-kindness and, and explaining the outcome of that can be really helpful. So if you haven't listened to that from two weeks ago, I'm not going to repeat the full thing because everyone will be bored, um, but go back and listen to that podcast as well. Um. I think that's I think that's really it and I would also normalize it like I don't know what it's like to like I don't know if she's in a larger body she's 45 she's not old not like particularly older than me but I've not got that lived experience but you know I'm doing this training program with Tom and today I had to do broad jumps three broad jumps in the middle of my gym you're laughing because it's obscene right and I don't feel comfortable doing it at all. And then I have to measure my distance because it's a test week. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I felt self-conscious and I really, really did. And I was like, okay, you're just going to have to get over it because you have to do it. And I, and and so I think normalizing it to some degree of like, I'm not saying that I've experienced what you've experienced, but it's totally normal to feel a little bit nervy or a little bit uncomfortable when you're doing something new. But what, but what are your options here? In the same situation, I could have just not done them, but then I wouldn't get be getting the most for the money that I'm paying to get this program in. So why would I not do it? And in the same situation here, it's like, okay, well then, if you don't, if you choose not to do it, whilst I understand all of the reasons why, the other option is you stay where you are and you can make a choice, but you signed up to work with me because you made a choice that you want to change these things. So can you hold space for the fact that it's hard, but you're going to do it anyway and just kind of talk around that a little bit? I think even more so with body image, especially if it's impacting the rest of your life and stopping you do stuff. Like realistically, if you were like, 
I don't actually care about broad jumps that much probably not going to have a huge impact on your life apart from like maybe you waste a bit of money that you spent on coaching because you don't get the most out of it but like body image you know I think sometimes not not to like it because it can come across as like almost like shamey but to be like you know you're probably missing out on a lot and like you only get one life and you don't want to look back and be like, oh, you know, I didn't, I don't know, go to that party because I was worried about what I'd look like. Or I always wanted to try that gym class, but I was always too scared because I'd have to wear leggings when I went to the gym or whatever it might be. Like at some point you just feel like I'm not going to hold myself back anymore. Yeah. Agree. Throw your water. YOLO. Sorry. Okay. Any check-in response today? YOLO. <laughs> um okay laura's question hello i have a new client who is type 1 diabetic she has had it her whole life and knows how to manage it well but i'd just like to know if there's anything i might need to consider when she's exercising or when i give diet advice also i'm aware that type 1 diabetics don't produce their own insulin and inject it or have one of those pump things that deliver it to them why do type 1 diabetics often go hypoglycemic and need to consume sugar all I can think of is that they've injected more insulin than they actually need. Yeah, that's normally the case. Um, so, and that kind of relates to what I'm about to say, which is that if she's going from being quite sedentary to exercising, she will need less insulin. Again, this is not like your job at all. Just go and ask her to speak to her like diabetes nurse or whatever. But if she's in a deficit, has just started exercising from not doing very much and maybe increasing steps, She'll probably need less insulin, which means that, yeah, if she was taking more, then she might go hypo. Um, but that's because exercise will independently clear blood gl- glucose levels and so will activity. So, yeah, you just want to be a little bit aware of that. But actually, most type ones, I will say that I've worked with that have been type one their whole life, are so good at doing this now. Like, very rarely do I work with a type one who was diagnosed very early on and is still experiencing a lot of hypos like most of them are are pretty good at controlling and now that people have like continuous glucose monitors it's kind of even easier I agree I don't have anything to add okay Rebecca's question hello a little guidance please sorry it's late I was sidetracked today after some mentor gave me an incredible amount of work to okay I have a client who has been working with me now for a couple of weeks working through her food relationship and overeating episodes of an evening we have increased food density earlier on in the day stopped fasted training and have ensured regular meals within a three to four hour eating frame ensured enough fats in meals etc so far incredible results one thing that has occurred now on two occasions on days where she has woken up later and had a larger breakfast to account for the pre-training food and breakfast by better by mid-afternoon she becomes shaky and lightheaded despite eating the same with the same pattern she has a regular menstrual cycle and is working through at the minute more mindfulness and stress management strategies as overall stress is very high could this be any correlation to a previous restrictive diet and now her body re-establishing herself after years of yo-yo dieting or is there something else i can explore um so it sounds like she's getting hypos is that right yeah on days that's occurred now on two occasions on days where she's had woken up later and had a larger breakfast to account for the stuff that she's missed by mid-afternoon she becomes shaky and lightheaded despite eating the same amount of food 
I would say it's probably caffeine and stress. Mm. I think I think we automatically like we often think it's like a blood sugar thing because it's like we kind of have been told it's like oh got low blood blood sugar and it's maybe because I've not eaten and it's usually because you've not eaten but you also had a large Starbucks or whatever you know like it's usually more to do with the caffeine um or it could be the stress and sometimes anxiety manifests in a, a very similar way and it might just be a coincidence that it's happened on the days that she slept longer um yeah, I agree. I think what we forget is that like most people, again, unless there's something actually wrong, as in she's diabetic or something, are pretty good at managing their glucose levels. Like if you think about how sensitive someone would have to be for that to happen, and then you think about the fact that like until very recently, it probably wasn't realistic for us to eat at exactly the same time every single day with the same meals, the same calories. Like we are evolved to go through phases of not eating and having to exercise quite a lot like probably most of the time when we were like hunting we'd be fasted right you don't eat and then go hunting like you'd normally hunt hungry so the human body is probably quite used to being able to do quite a lot I know that seems like paleo blah 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 but realistically we've not evolved that much um so we're probably very capable of like managing the day without having eaten a huge amount so it maybe is the caffeine or something else or a coincidence yeah I can't really think what else it would be I mean if she's if she's in a larger body she can also like not even if she's worried about it go to her GP and speak about it I think that's always a useful thing just to rule anything out um but more often than not, I think this is usually stress. Because again, if you think about, and I know Rebecca, you're very aware of like um, nervous system regulation. If she is chronically stressed and chronically up there, and then maybe she's rushed because she sleeps later, I don't know. Um, and she, her routine's off and she's just a bit more stressed and then she has some more caffeine. She could be well up there and her, maybe her heart rate is just higher because she's not stopped. And then that's leading her to feel shaky. And she's just you, like, we often will go to food, but it's probably not that yeah okay that's the last question oh great yeah great questions if you're listening on the podcast and you're thinking about signing up to eiq make sure you do it before the end of the week correct and eiqnutrition.com get you 200 pounds off if you do the mini course <laughs> okay great Actually, I felt like we were going like higher and higher on the pitch. Oh, I can go very high. Yeah, you do have a higher, higher voice than I do. That that means you're more um likable. I'm more dominant. I'm more likable when you're assertive. Is it more likable or is it just perceived as more intelligent? Oh, it's maybe more intelligent. Yeah, I think it is. You know, which evens out the whole you having a PhD. I've got lower voice, you've got a PhD, like same. It's basically, basically the same. <laughs> yeah. Also, I have an English accent, so that also makes me sound more intelligent. And I have a Scottish accent, which is unfortunate. I just kidding, I love a Scottish accent. Obviously. <laughs> By the way, I'm not being that that was what we were talking about there is actual research that's been done. I'm not just like <laughs> more intelligent. But unfortunately it was actually done on males and females so like um a man's voice 
sounds more intelligent, even if they're saying exactly the same thing. Sparia. We're finishing the podcast as we and the live as we started. Patriarchy. Absolute patriarchy. Why? What we are, oh, yeah. Breast yeah. milk. Breast milk. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay,